How far do you want to take it to reach your goals beyond any physical challenge that you are going through right now? Well, today's guest, Andy McDonald, is going to share with us his great experience in Kenya at a high-altitude training camp where the athletes there had an entire community behind them to reach their goals. Hello and welcome to the Injury to Lead podcast with your host, me, Dr. Dave Meyer, dream coach and performance physical therapist. Today, we have performance physio and strength coach, Andy McDonald, on the show to talk about how we as performance experts see an injury as a massive opportunity to better yourself both on and off of the field. Andy himself has an amazing journey, continuing with his professional development across the pond coming from the UK, now over here in the States. He's a forward-thinking trailblazer in the field and has his own podcast titled Informed Performance. You're all in for a treat today with the synergy you're about to get with this alliance as we both share how taking a step backwards can be a giant leap forward and how to speed up that process. Andy, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me on, David. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to come on and chat. So let's jump into it. After talking with you, learning more of your story, I was blown away by your experience over in Kenya at the Altitude Training Camp. Why don't you tell us about that and how it has shaped your overall view on performance? Yeah. Um, so I was back in 2013, uh, the year after the Olympics was hosted in London. Um, at that moment, I'd been working as a, as a strength and conditioning coach for quite a few years and was about to kind of begin my training at the University West of England in uh, physiotherapy, as we call it in the UK. Um, so I just took a bit of an opportunity to go traveling around Kenya, uh, by myself of all, of all things as well. Um, and, uh, things have kind of fallen into place for me with the, uh, the trip because the Kenyan distance running team had been based in my hometown, Bristol, where I'd been working. Um, and I'd been working as a strength coach and they, because they'd used the facilities that we had, there was just a few relationships among the guys I worked with, um, and some of their coaches. So when it kind of came to me going traveling in Kenya, um, I was really lucky that I was able to go and spend a week uh, living and working with Kenyan distance runners. So went off to this place called uh, to, called Kenya and met a guy called Bruce, who was one of the 2012 Kenyan coaches, and met him in Nairobi. And then both myself and him squeezed into this tiny little minibus uh, with about 5,000 people in it. And uh, yeah, we drove up to a little remote town called Embu, which is near Mount Kenya. And um, Wait a second. You said five... Say that again about the bus with five thousand people. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was bananas. They have the you know they have the tiny little minibuses and they just keep packing passengers into them until there's there's honestly no space. So you know there's there's so many people in this vehicle. It's hot, um, but you know amongst the chaos, I you know I absolutely loved it. It was it was a completely unique journey up to uh, a remote village and um yeah i think sometimes you've just got to embrace uh some public transport and and you know other countries it makes uh it makes the subway in new york city seem seem like a piece of cake wow oh oh yeah yeah completely um yeah very unique experience to to travel in that way um yeah so i traveled up to embu and um the training facility itself was was basically a singular grass field uh based at a school and they had no track or gym or any any equipment it was it was basically just marked out by where the runners had left their footprints around the outside of the, of the field. Um, it was at altitude, so they get the kind of physiological benefits of that. But, you know, you're talking no force plates, no speed gates, no cryo chambers or, or anything fancy. Just, uh, you know, a pool of talented runners uh, who work hard, run, eat, sleep a couple of times a day. Um, 
And it was just very eye-opening to see how a simple high-performance environment can be uh, without all the kind of bells and whistles. Wow, that's interesting. And I think that's a really good story to share with people that might not have the fancy resources that they think they need, even for the non-elite athletes or the elite athletes or the recreational athletes out there. A lot of times our mind in 2020 the last few years jumps to, oh, I need the latest and greatest cryotherapy, like you mentioned. So tell me about it. You you were there. What did you see that really was a differentiator for these athletes there that, that came from, I'm sure, a very difficult situation? Yeah, I think the, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's obviously, there's genetics, there's altitude, there's all the kind of science, there's all the scientific things that we that we relate to why certain populations are good at a sport. Um, and, and in this case, you know, East African runners. But I think for me, it was, it was really special to see one of the rawest examples in forms of athletic performance. Um, the athletes themselves were just constantly trying to perfect their technique of how they run, um, constantly trying to push their physiology and their capacity to compete in distance running. Not to say that athletes in other countries don't do that, but they just, it's a really simple approach that they take. Um, a lot less distractions. Um, and with kind of quite pure simplicity and no support from modern sports science, they're just really honing their craft. Um, I think one of the bigger contributors is most of the athletes were from quite poor uh, farming families and live in poverty and, and their families under quite extraordinary challenges send and support one of their children or family members to live and train at a camp if they think they have potential. So, you know, you, you can imagine the burden and the pressure that that one athlete has going into this camp. But equally, you can also imagine the motivation and the intent that they have for every training session uh, and being there. So yeah, the coach Bruce is, a, is an engineer, I think, and would go to Mombasa a few months a year, one of the biggest cities in Kenya, uh, and earn some money. And then he'd spend the rest of the year in Embu and just train these athletes predominantly for free. Uh, he would charge none of them anything unless they had gone into like the Diamond League or they were winning marathons and half marathons around the world. So if they were making money, he would charge them. But, you know, for the guys that hadn't yet made it, they were just getting coached for free by this brilliant coach and, and really kind man, to be honest. Um, so, I think yeah, giving very, back, yeah. sorry to cut you off. I, giving back in our field is a very important element. You have to put your time into those that are in need. And sometimes the reward for putting in to, to those out there that, that are motivated like these Kenyans what comes to my mind when you're talking about this story here, they seem like they're competing for something greater than just themselves. And they have a community behind them that is supporting them and they're going towards this mission. So look, you and I, I'm sure have, have all learned this through our formal education in terms of how support, how your family support is so heavily important when it, when it's, when it comes to the outcomes of rehabilitation, of performance, having a community behind you is huge. And I think it seems to me like you saw that firsthand. So, and I think that's a great message to share with our audience. You have to have people behind you going towards that. You know, you need to be filling yourself, especially when you're going through a dark time, through a challenge, whatever it is, you need people that are, that are fanning you with that energy. And it almost propels you. It almost makes you run even faster, right? So I, yeah. I love that story. I think one of the things that really stood out about it was we, like you said earlier, we we rely on like the latest things and we get quite distracted by the process and what we think we need to right. actually make a difference. You know, I kind of rocked up and 
watched them running laps and then on the spot on day one was asked to deliver a strength session with absolutely no equipment to a group of athletes that were incredibly receptive and engaged just just to another level but i think for me as a clinician or coach it was fantastic to get away from the distractions of uh, of looking around other facilities and other teams and thinking you know what do they have what do we need to compete ah, actually yes. can you go back to you know it, it, in a weird way it's paradoxically more innovative to be able to go into an environment where you have nothing at your disposal and try and deliver something than when you've got all the tools and technology that we now use, like Vicon, force plates, and all the rest of it. And I mean, you know, I love that stuff. I'm using it currently with some research. But for me, being able to go back to basics and see, you know, with absolutely nothing, but the right programs, the right relationships, the right community. The human element, right? Yeah, the human element, exactly. Uh, you can still yield kind of world-class results without the toys. Um, if you've then got them to layer on, brilliant. You, you know, use them, abuse them, and, you know, they'll make a big difference in informing your process. But uh, at the same time, I think we can get a little bit far away from uh, the first principles of, you know, nutrition, sleep, mindset, and like you said, the human factor. I think that's great. And, you know, let's think about Greek times with where the Olympics started and they didn't have the fancy stuff and humans were still performing. So performance is an intuitive element to, to human progress, right? And the human connection is so important. That's what we really give as a professional in the performance industry, whether we're physical therapist, chiropractor, physio, whatever you want to call us, it's the human connection. We're a guide and we're bringing the best out of people. And it seems like you were able to tap into that so easily because they were presenting their best self. There was no, there was no time and there was no ability to, to not show up. And for people out there that are going through their rehabilitation, their challenges, their, their performance enhancement, their, their co competition. You have to start with what do you have, not what don't you have, and how do you bring, how do you show up and how do you represent your community? So I love that. So taking a little bit of a different direction, you going through the formality of getting your physical therapy license in the States here after already having been a physio in the UK is kind of like, or seemingly step backward to take a giant leap forward with, with a lot of your ambition it must be a humbling process to say the least. Yeah, it's definitely humbling. Um, yeah, the, the way the kind of immigration system works for the States, uh, now at least PTs coming from abroad, uh, have to do al almost redo their training for a better word. Um, the qualifications don't carry over anymore. So yeah, it's definitely humbling because you, you know, you invest a number of years working hard to qualify and, and then practice. Uh, in my case, as a chartered and licensed physiotherapist, PT, same thing. Um, and, you know, you really identify yourself as being a physiotherapist or a PT. And I, I feel very fortunate to work professionally in a career where I'm, I'm in, a, in a career that I'm really passionate about um, as a sports physio. But, yeah, it's definitely humbling when, you know, kind of you fly across the pond and then you basically open up a open up a can of worms where you for a time you can't fully identify as being the thing that you work towards. I can respect that a ton. And I, I will tell you, Andy, humility is huge in the sports world. Let's be honest. A lot of us, we improved our own performance, making ourselves bigger, faster, and stronger when we were athletes. And I think a lot of times there's a machismo that comes to that. And a lot of times we want to we wanna show what we can do and how we can coach others. But sometimes we have to take a step back and realize, look, What's the why behind all of it in the first place? And, you know, your why is obviously to get the, to the highest level in elite sports and you'll do whatever it takes. So if I'm, if I'm an athlete, I'm looking for somebody like yourself that is as authentic as possible, is looking for 
the the top amount of education and even if you know i'm sure your education in in the uk was already great but doing everything you can to get where you need to be and i think that's what athletes and non-athletes alike going through going from injured to elite have to remember the journey the process you might not look and it might not feel linear at, at times but the end goal is what's important and if you're you got to ask yourself one thing are you going towards it or away from it and and clearly you're a man that's going towards it so i i have a ton of respect for you and that's one of the main reasons i wanted to bring you on here because you're somebody yourself that is going steadfast towards your goal so question what have you seen to be the most different in the united kingdom from the states in terms of how we manage sports related injuries um, yeah, probably uh, try and answer this in two ways. I think the big difference for the professional teams, uh, as far as I'm aware, is the way the operations of the leagues themselves run. So the American leagues uh, have far more of what I would say is an even playing field by the way that they have the draft systems uh, and and just the way the kind of uh, restrictions are put on to uh, training windows as to how much access you can have to your players and at what part of the season that is. So it's definitely a little bit more fair competition and trying to evening out how teams operate themselves. Um, but I think, and, and I think that comes from the collective bargaining agreements that you have set up. But I think with that, perhaps uh, you get a little bit more red tape as if you're in the back room as a, you know, as a strength sure. coach or a, or a PT, um, as compared to say the British leagues where yes, the season lasts for however long it lasts and the off season has a, has a maximum amount of time that it can last, but teams have their own individual ability if they want to get players in a week early or you know it's up to them generally they'll all follow the same kind of time frame because players talk and players want a certain amount of rest and um it's fairly similar but it's not quite as rigid so i think there's just a little bit more red tape here if you're the backroom staff than there is perhaps in uh, in europe i think at a collegiate level i spent a lot of time working collegiately in the uk and i think one of the bigger difference i think um this is a complete opinion but in America, you've got a huge stock of athletes um, because the college, the collegiate scene is so big. So I think in a, in a kind of almost funnel way, you know, you get a big group of athletes in and you maybe spit a few absolute high performers out, you know, the one percenters at the end. Um, I think sometimes because of the raw amount of athletes you've got, you can put a lot of people through a very similar program um, mm-hmm. and, and still get those, you know, incredible one percenters at the end of it. Whereas I think in the UK, the, the university sports scene is definitely a lot smaller. Um, so you have a much smaller pool of athletes to select squads and teams from. So I think we probably, in the UK, we've probably had to spend a little bit more time on an individual or subgroup programming sort of consideration to, to simply just make the best out of what we've got of a smaller pool of athletes. And yeah, that's not to say coaches here don't individualize things or uh, have individual intents for their athletes and in their philosophy. But I think I think the logistics and the differences of scale just slightly change that around uh, as a as a wide sweeping generalization. That makes a lot of sense, Andy, especially in terms of the huge pool of collegiate athletics here in the states. And I think that's a great eye that you bring here from that perspective, the more individualized approach and also a little more forward thinking outside of the red tape. Uh, I'm going to go out there and say ask you this, every professional sports team loves to have a European accent on that team. <laughs> Did now over there in Europe, do they want the boring American accent or does it not carry over there? Do you know, I think like, I think it does go both ways. I think there's, there's a perception when, uh, you know, for myself, at least growing up, uh, you see the scale in which America does things. Um, and you see that, you know, you kind of go on YouTube and you see these college football facilities that rival any training facility in the world of any level of sport. And I think you kind of, 
it goes both ways in that you there's this assumption that anything that's coming from America is 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 bigger and better at times. So you know I've seen it where people have come to the states and uh, spent some time and regardless of what it is everyone's like wow that must have been incredible and, and without even necessarily knowing the context of it so i think it, i think it goes both ways i think uh, i think you know my experience living in the states so far is people like the quaint accent and some of the quaint sayings and i, I don't know if you're single now but it's got to work well in the bar scene I mean, I have a girlfriend, and uh, yeah, she she keeps, a close, she keeps a close eye on me because I definitely get some free coffees and, uh, and, and you know the odd the odd perk of being British. But um, yeah, it definitely goes both ways. That's awesome. All right, getting into it a little deeper. Our audience is keen on accelerating their process, especially when searching for peak performance amongst an injury. What are some of the best hacks or tools you have found in both your studies and practice that we can share with our listeners? Yeah, I guess for any coaches listening, um, my mentor, Dave Rowland, who's a great man and an, an absolute fountain of knowledge, uh, passed on a real appreciation of in-depth uh, functional anatomy. And as a coach and as, and as a clinician, actually, I think understanding all the nuts and bolts and how they integrate together, uh, or, or simply put, if you understand what all the parts of the car do anatomically, then it's far easier to make the, the car go faster. Um, that's right. a horrible strength coach analogy. That's, that's a good, simple, yes, but that's really important. And that's something that I integrate in my practice. When I have a patient in front of me or an athlete or a client, I want them to have near an understanding that I do. They have a better understanding than me because that's not my thing. And everyone has their unique condition, right? I mean, I don't like the word condition, but they have their, their unique challenge, we'll call it, right? It's never the same in two people. Yeah, there are patterns, of course, but but you nailed it. You you can get a huge competitive edge, increasing the the speed of recovery by learning about it as quickly as you can at an in depth level. And a lot of people don't want to own it. A lot of people, in my experience, they want to step away from it and let you, Andy, the physio, or Dave, the physical therapist, they want us to own it. But the truth is, if you don't own it, then you can't control it. You can't direct it. We're only guides. And that's a big thing. It's not just the cryotherapy. It's not just the, the latest and greatest modality out there or, or recovery instrument or the whoop band. They're all great. I'm not, I'm not bashing them. But yeah. taking ownership of educating yourself to the level that you and I at least strive to understand it is really important. It doesn't mean you have to become a physician or a physical therapist. It just means that you're, you're taking an active role, right? And you're, you're in the driver's seat. As I, I write that in my book, Injured to Elite, it's waking up at the wheel and driving your car. So I, I think that's a great piece of advice. I think, um, I think, I think one of the, the areas that we exhaust a bit too much is the modalities and is uh, using things to help us. I think, you know, if you get a, a much more solid assessment as a coach or solid evaluation as a PT, you can actually have quite simple interventions if you truly know what's going on. And I Absolutely. think, I think clinically, um, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because I'm uh, from two backgrounds as a strength coach and a PT, but I, I think there's real value as a, as a clinician in actually going into the gym or on the running track, whatever that environment is for the athlete and loading the athlete to a meaningful level as a part of the assessment. I think there's only so much you can see on a table uh, at the, uh, and your ability to load somebody and assess them in that environment. So I think if you can put greater force through the person and actually really kind of test out their ability to control force, their motor control, you might then be able to see how, uh, how they actually, how their systems and their tissues are actually reacting. Uh, because, you know, a slow, low load, high control test in a very sterile environment may not reflect what you're actually seeing in under a high load, high speed and completely chaotic and complex competitive environment. 
So I think I think sometimes we have to break the mold of the traditional setting uh, to truly understand the athlete. Because I think we're trying to take something and put it through our funnel. But I think sometimes you have to do the opposite. So as I wrote in my book, Injured to Elite, building your performance team, it's so important to have somebody like an Andy on your team where they can really use these fundamental principles of movement to help you as an individual learn to optimize your tissue through movement and even just basic exercise, like you're saying. It doesn't have to be through the use of some fancy manual therapy, hands-on technique, or some fancy recovery modality. It could simply be training. And you and I spoke a little bit about how training really is a part of the rehab process, huge part of the rehab process. So what what's the state of affairs in terms of physical therapy programs teaching a holistic approach now, especially now over at Temple University with your studies? Yeah, I mean, I can only uh, I can only perhaps speak for the snapshot that I've got in the states for the education um, with my experience at Temple. But I think the program does a great job in how it emphasizes or weighs patient education and pain science, perhaps more than I had previously. And I think that could also just be the natural progression of how how we've understood things. You know, I think when I trained, things were a lot more biomechanical model um, sure. heavy. And I think now, you know, whilst we still do that, uh, I think at least where I'm studying at Temple at the moment. There's a lot more emphasis put on, yeah, pain science and patient education. Um, got a couple of, you know, great professors, actually. Well, a lot of great professors, but uh, a guy called Bill Egan and Mike O'Hara, two, two of the lecturers and clinicians that I spend a lot of time kind of picking their brains and bouncing ideas off them. Both, they're, they're absolutely excellent in clinic. Um, I'm very good at developing modern clinic clinicians to kind of consider the wider factors of the human element um, mm. and, and not just thinking of this kind of, pathological model of force causing an injury it's been a refreshing kind of revisit into education i'm really excited to hear that the human element and the the holistic side of what we do as clinicians you know humans first andy during our conversations you have mentioned that you see an injury as an opportunity and in my book injured to elite along with this podcast a major theme is utilizing physical challenge as an opportunity to better your life both on and off of the field can you share with me how you put this into practice with your clients and patients in terms of coaching them yeah, I think, um, yeah, you know, injuries are incredibly frustrating and uh, we know a certain frame of mind to get through them is definitely required for, for their recovery to be optimal. Um, I think athletes and patients in my experience and, and probably many others, they always want to know when they can return to their sport or certain parts of training. So I think whilst that's true, I think also injuries can provide an opportunity for the athlete or the coaches to perhaps reflect and evaluate their process, the time leading up to where they are. Uh, where they were heading and perhaps understand their body their anatomy and their technique better um so i think it does provide a lot of insight and i think the time that you spend rehabbing one part of your body also often provides time to work on another weakness or a, or a performance opportunity elsewhere so maybe right. that, pre- that, that maybe that you know that previous trajectory of what you were doing wouldn't have actually enabled so i think as a coach or a clinician i've found that refocusing the athlete's mind to something else that's productive alongside that stream of the rehab uh, is is really effective for them. We can communicate a goals-based path that hopefully engages both the frustrated mind of the injured athlete, but I think also maybe uh, embraces that competitive spirit that wants to move on to the next thing and wants to tackle challenges. Right. And it's an opportunity to work on other things, both strengths and weaknesses. A lot of times we want to look at why the car broke down. You can also look at it as here's time to work on the things that are already working well and get them even better too. When you're off of the field, if you're an athlete, guess what? 
Well, now you have the ability to not have to worry about competing and improving your skills. That, that's an area that I love focusing on as a clinician and a professional. When I have a ball player, baseball player that let's say has an arm injury, well, they can get a unique perspective watching other pitchers in the rehab group and looking from a different angle and seeing how they can integrate some different elements to their game. Or if it's a position player, a hitter, they can start standing in on bullpens and watching different pitchers that they wouldn't have seen at other times. So there's all these ways as a, as a professional, you can step out, you can have your athlete or individual, or if they're not an athlete and they're, let's say a competitive hiker or whatever it is, they can cross train. They can, you can coach them on having a different perspective to grow overall. You know, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because it's kind of almost similar to your story. You're furthering your education, but you already had this education to some degree in the United Kingdom. And so it's like the step backwards to leap forwards. And it's really an injury or a rehab process or a, even a physical challenge. In a lot of ways, you know, it can be looked at as, ah, oh, I'm set back or I'm not getting towards my goal. Or you change your thought there of, I have an opportunity now to perfect other elements that I just didn't have the opportunity to before when I was in the midst of competition. And I think if you reframe it this way, tremendous things can happen. So I love your perspective as a clinician in terms of that being one of the the things that you and I share together. And then I also really, I, I think you have a great future ahead of you in the States or wherever you take it in terms of you furthering your education by going back to school. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and your podcast is awesome. It's inspirational as I'm starting mine, Informed Performance. And uh, what's next for you, Andy? Yeah, I mean, um, at the moment, you know, there's a certain amount of time that I'm a little bit handcuffed by in just completing the the doctorate of physical therapy here. But um, yeah, in and amongst that, just doing some research on tender biomechanics, uh, podcasting, and just to be honest, looking forward to the next step of uh, working in sport, um, but out here in America. So just on that route at the moment. Well, I look forward to maybe coming on your show too, and maybe you can pick my brain in a different angle, but it's been a great pleasure having you here. And thank you for your time. And I wish you all the best, Andy. Thank you. No, I'm humbled to come on. And yeah, thank you for the uh, conversation and the invitation. All right, Andy. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.